welcome to the Minor and Landis Immigration Update Podcast, the podcast that immigration professionals and foreign nationals listen to to keep up to date. After a short break, we are now back with a new episode. This one comes with a warning and some good advice for foreign nationals who may be planning to change where they live in the near future. The podcast was written, as always, by Minor and Landis immigration partner Lynn Walker and can also be found on her LinkedIn page. Over the past 18 months, we've witnessed the unprecedented impact of the COVID-19 pandemic on nearly every facet of life and every industry in the United States. Many companies have switched to remote working, and some individuals have been looking to move out of congested cities, which initially bore the brunt of the COVID-19 infections. For those reasons, or sometimes for both reasons, many individuals have relocated or are planning to relocate, often in a different state. It's difficult and disrupting to move your family and all of your belongings to a new location, and there are so many details to attend to that it's easy to overlook the immigration consequences that may arise from moving. The goal of the podcast this week is to provide foreign nationals and their employers with important issues to consider when moving. It can be an unwelcome surprise to foreign nationals and their employers when they realize the impact that moving, even within the same state, can have on their immigration status. To help explain the importance of moving, I'm going to provide two hypothetical situations and the immigration consequences of each. As always, the privacy of our clients is of the utmost importance, so both of these examples are purely hypothetical. Hypothetical number one. In this scenario, we have a non-immigrant with a pending I-485 application to adjust status to permanent resident. Emily is a non-immigrant who has a pending I-140, Petition for Immigrant Worker, and a pending I-485, Application to Adjust Status to Permanent Resident, which were concurrently filed in October of 2020 based on her employment with ABC Company, her hypothetical employer. When Emily's I-140 petition and I-485 application were filed, she was working remotely from her home office due to the COVID-19 pandemic. As listed on her I-140 petition and I-485 application, Emily resided in New York City, New York. In July of 2021, USCIS mailed Emily an ASC appointment notice to have her biometrics, that's her photograph and fingerprints, recorded at a local USCIS application support center on August 11, 2021. Unbeknownst to ABC Company or their immigration counsel, Emily had moved to Hoboken, New Jersey, and never informed her employer or immigrant counsel of her new address. Although Emily had her mail forwarded from her old address in New York to her new address in Hoboken, she never informed USCIS that she had moved. So that meant that she never received the original ASC appointment notice mailed to her directly from USCIS. In addition, even though ABC Company and their immigration counsel emailed Emily a copy of the ASC appointment notice, she unfortunately never read the email or opened the attachment. On August 16, 2021, Emily received mail that was forwarded to her new address, including the ASC appointment notice, and realized that she had missed the appointment to have her biometrics recorded. 
The significant lesson to note here is that forwarding mail is not sufficient for USCIS. Any non-immigrant who moves is required to file a Form AR-11, Aliens Change of Address Card, with USCIS within 10 days of the change of address. The requirement to file the AR-11 applies to all foreign nationals, whether they move to a different apartment within the same building or to a completely different city or state. A best practice is to also send a letter to USCIS by certified mail return receipt with a copy of the receipt notice for each pending petition or application to advise of the change of address. So what are the consequences of Emily missing the biometrics appointment for her I-485 application? The failure to appear for the biometrics appointment or to timely request prior to the appointment date that USCIS reschedule the appointment will result in USCIS denying the I-485 application as being abandoned. Although there have been some instances where the local ASC office will allow a foreign national to appear late to have their biometrics recorded, more often than not, USCIS will simply deny the application. Assuming the foreign national has otherwise maintained their status, this would require the foreign national to refile a new I-485 application and be placed at the end of the queue for a green card after having waited months or possibly years to file. Our hypothetical case number two is an H-1B non-immigrant whose employer permits remote working. Dana is an H-1B non-immigrant whose employer XYZ Limited has implemented a work-from-home policy in response to the COVID-19 pandemic. XYZ Limited, which is located in Morris County, New Jersey, initially implemented the work-from-home policy as a temporary measure, but in April of 2021 made it one of several permanent options for its employees. Dana, who has been employed as an IT project manager with XYZ Limited for four years, has been working remotely since March of 2020. Her current H-1B status expires on September 1st, 2021, and she is currently earning an annual salary of $100,000. Now that she has the option of permanently working from home, she purchased a home in Fairfax County, Virginia on June 15th, 2021. On July 15th of 2021, while XYZ Limited's immigration attorneys were preparing an extension of Dana's H-1B status, she advised XYZ Limited that she had purchased a home in Virginia and was seeking to move there as of August 15th. So what are the consequences to Dana's H-1B status based on her planned relocation from Morris County, New Jersey to Fairfax County, Virginia? This scenario is a prevailing wage issue Changes in an H-1B non-immigrant's work location can have significant immigration consequences due to the U.S. employer's requirement to meet the prevailing wage. As many of you know, in order to file an H-1B petition, an employer must agree to pay the H-1B beneficiary at least the required wage, which is defined as the higher of the prevailing wage or the employer's actual wage paid to similarly employed workers. For a detailed explanation of the prevailing wage and how to determine it, please see our tutorial video, What is the Prevailing Wage, 
on the Lynn Walker YouTube channel, where you can read her article, How to Determine the Prevailing Wage, for E3, H-1B, and H-1B1 petitions on Lynn Walker's LinkedIn page. And as always, when you're searching, Lynn is spelled L-I-N. But what is important to note here in this hypothetical scenario is that the appropriate prevailing wage is determined by the geographical area of employment. The prevailing wage for Dana's position of IT project manager in Morris County, New Jersey, is $94,349 per year. While in Fairfax County, Virginia, the prevailing wage for an IT project manager is $121,722 per year. By purchasing a home and planning to relocate without first consulting with XYZ Limited and its Immigration Council, Dana created an expensive dilemma for herself and her employer, which may jeopardize her ability to maintain her lawful non-immigrant status. Under this scenario, XYZ Limited and Dana have several options. First, assuming XYZ Limited agrees to file the H-1B extension for Dana to work in Fairfax County, Virginia, XYZ Limited must agree to pay her the prevailing wage, which is now $121,722 per year, more than a $21,000 increase over her current salary. While XYZ Limited has the option of purchasing a private wage survey as an alternative means of determining the prevailing wage, such private wage surveys can be quite expensive, and there is no guarantee that the private wage survey will be accepted by either the Department of Labor or USCIS as sufficiently meeting the prevailing wage regulations. Second, XYZ Limited may decide that it cannot or will not file an H-1B extension petition for Dana which would place her lawful non-immigrant status in jeopardy. If XYZ Limited determines that it cannot pay Dana $121,722 per year, or that it cannot find a private wage survey as an alternative means of determining the prevailing wage, then XYZ Limited could decide not to file an H-1B extension on behalf of Dana and let her H-1B status expire. The third option. XYZ Limited could determine that it can only afford to extend Dana's H-1B status if she continued working in Morris County, New Jersey. Of course, that would mean that Dana could not move to her new home in Fairfax, Virginia. And fourth, Dana would have the option of transferring her H-1B employment to an employer who could pay the prevailing wage for her role as an IT project manager in Fairfax, Virginia. This would require Dana, of course, to find a new employer who would be willing and able to sponsor her, pay the prevailing wage, and file the H-1B extension petition before her current status expired on September 1st, 2021. While not impossible, the very short period of time with which Dana has to find a new employer, get hired, and get the employer to file the petition on her behalf makes it unlikely that this option would be successful. So what should be the takeaway from all of this? Both Emily and Dana failed to communicate with the employers and Immigration Council a material change in their personal circumstances, which in turn had significant consequences, placing both of them in financial or immigration jeopardy. It is critical that foreign nationals always share a change in their address with their employer and Immigration Council. As our hypotheticals showed, 
relocating can have a significant impact on a foreign national's immigration status. If you have any questions regarding the immigration consequences of relocating, please feel free to contact us. And thanks again for listening. Disclaimer. The information contained herein is intended only for educational or informational purposes and is not a substitute for legal advice. Further, listening to this HR tip in no way establishes an attorney-client relationship between you and Minor and Landis LLP. Listeners should consult legal counsel for definitive advice regarding the current law and regulations and how those apply to your unique situation within your organization.